Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. want to trust him today. I do want to open up with just one text before we pray. It's found in Matthew chapter 1 and uh, verse 17 and it reads, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations and from carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Today I'm going to teach, um, start this, really I want to elongate this lesson into three parts starting today and, and ending, uh, I'm going to teach again on Sunday morning and next Wednesday, but I want to talk about begat. Can you say that word begat? Begat. Uh, so sounds like a, something a frog would say. Um, but before we get into this lesson, again, I, I, I do want to I do want to call out those names and prayers and call out those petitions and prayers and uh, just give our, give our needs to God. All right. Can we do that? Let's go ahead and bow our heads this evening. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for this incredible opportunity we have to be here, Lord, in this house, in your presence. And I pray that you help us. I, I pray that you strengthen us. And I pray, God, Lord, take our needs, the petitions of our hearts, the, the heaviness, God, we have lying on each and every one of us. I'm praying for Holly right now. Touch her and her body. Help them in this situation. I'm praying, Lord, for the on family, God. Bring peace and strength during this season of hurt. And I, I pray, Lord, for this body, this church, Lord, every need of the heart, every every desire, every every request, Lord. You see every single need, Lord. You're a way maker. You're a healer. You're a provider. And we come to you, God. We ask you also, Lord, to speak to our hearts and stir us and teach us, Lord. Give us greater understanding into your word. God, we thank you for who you are. And in your name we pray. Will you say that name with me? In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Clap your hands unto the Lord. God is good. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God, you may be seated in Jesus' name. Each of us have um, a heritage. As uh, many of you know, recently um, there has been a big kind of overwhelming push uh, through products and, and, and ways to send out things. Ever, has anyone ever used Ancestor, the, the ability to, you know... Uh, Send your blood in, your DNA, and get back uh, some some uh, information. There's there's other ones out there, but it's a we're living in this day and age where people are have the availability to figure out a little bit more of their background and their heritage. There's some people in here who already know those things, or very very well known uh, historians of your own family. Everyone has a a background, a family tree, and typically though about our family tree. We only share the good fruit, right? 
We don't like to talk about the bad fruit that falls from the tree. We just like to focus on the good stuff and, you know, brag about, you know, the general or brag about, you know, the, the, the astronaut maybe in the family. Brag about the, the, you know, the president that happens to maybe be related to you. I don't know who that good fruit may be, but family members are very proud of those individuals who really accentuate the family and, and rightly so. That's not a bad thing. I think we all uh, enjoy that. I know that I'm very proud of many members in my, my heritage. I'm uh, one individual that I'd like to highlight is my great uncle Anton Huba. He was um, great, great Uncle Anton Huba, and he was somebody who was very influential in the Pentecostal movement in the in the area of Europe, Middle Europe, and especially and uh, came here to Pennsylvania and uh, also pastored churches and just was very influential. I remember being a Bible college student. And one of my um, my professors came to me, and he was doing a uh, another book. He, he his name is Talmadge French. I don't know if you know who he is, but he was very well known in our ranks in the UPC. And he's he's someone who's um, put together a lot of things. He's uh, he came out with a book about the oneness, uh, focusing on the oneness of God and oneness Pentecostalism, and really kind of putting a real number to how many oneness Pentecostal there are and in that book he highlights my my family member but he came to me in one of my class classes and he said listen I really would like to know more about your great great uncle and if you have any more inside information please let me know and I and uh, you know I, it could help you know somewhere on your grade if you wanted to uh, you know uh, get gather whatever information so my ears perked up and so I went to all my members in my family I'm like give me what you got if you got anything on this family member of ours because my college professors writing another book and he's wanting to highlight a little more information and, and I'm helping him, you know, just find that stuff. And, and so I, I was able to get a few things and I, I realized that with our family tree, we always focus on those things and, and, but we don't necessarily focus on that low-hanging bad fruit, if I can call them that. Members of our family members that we're embarrassed about. History of those family members that we just kind of shy away about talking about or mentioning or skirting across. And I want us to understand that Christ is no different. He has such a checkered heritage. And I really want to emphasize, and I, I was, I was kind of chuckling to myself as I began to put this lesson together, and I thought to myself, there are just certain books and areas of the books in the Bible that people typically stay away from for certain reasons. You know, not, you, there's not a lot of people teaching on or preaching out of Song of Solomon, and I'll let you figure out why on your own. Uh, but there are there are certain areas, and one area is Matthew chapter 1, the begats, as, as many call it. And it's simply because of this. It's boring. <laughs> 
you're like, oh my God, I, I'm reading all these, this begat, this begat here, but I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I hope you're with me on this series and this, these lessons here because I want to pull out what these begats really mean for each and every one of us and, and, and really kind of focus on these individuals. So we're going to start, I, I, I want to go right back to my opening text in Matthew 1 and 17, and I reread it. It says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David unto the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. This means that there were, if you do the math, 14 plus 14 plus 14, it's 42. 42 generations from the time Abraham was born to the time Christ was born. There's a lot of years in between there, and to be the a little bit more exact, it's 2,042 years uh, is kind of the uh, the belief that that's how long that took place, and that's simply because they figured out the birth date of uh, the year of Abraham when he was born, and that was 2,042 B.C. And so I want us to understand that when we're looking at this, and, and really I want to speak to the scoffers, if I could say it this way, the scoffers will look at Jesus and say, Jesus died in one day, buried in one day, three days he rose again and he ascended into heaven not shortly after, but for some reason we're to believe that his second returning, his second coming is true, and it's been nearly 2,000 years. And why the, why the long distance of time? You know, if he was able to die, be buried, and rise again there in three days, why, why are we still waiting? Well, I just want to echo the fact that from the generations from Abraham to when Christ came, it was 2,042 years. I, I want you to know God takes his time. He, he is in no rush to, to, to uh, really circumvent promise and do the things that we need. And, and there's a reason he's sovereign and there's a reason you haven't heard that Trump. But let me tell you what, you better pay attention to the signs because they are absolutely real. And I want us to really focus on that in this type of short series of understanding. I'm, I'm going to be covering the begats, but I'm also going to be covering the prophecies in Old Testament that leads up to his birth and begats into the Christ and those types of things. So I, I just say to the scoffer's point, I want to remind them that it took Jesus 2,042 years to be born within the family tree. And Jesus loves to take his time. I, I, I want to look at these begats. And we start in Matthew 1 and 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, right out of the right out of the gates. Look how pumped and excited he's bringing the good fruit from the tree. I mean, wow, we're talking about the, this. Jesus Christ is the son of David, who is the very, you know, prominent historical king of Israel. And then, of course, Father Abraham. I mean, we're, we're probably just pulling out the two top individuals in this family tree and just wanting to brag about it. But we continue on. Verse 2, Abraham begat Isaac 
and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brother. Now, Judas is the word here uh, for Judah. If you're going to understand that the New Testament kind of changes some some names up just a little bit, but uh, Judas is actually Judah uh, from the Old Testament. And before we really dive into what this begat really means, begat is is a word in the Greek that uh, is genaho, which means to procreate, to regenerate, to bear, to be born to bring forth, conceive, you know, these types of, to spring up, to make. It's not really outside of the norm to hear that word begat and understand what it means to, but we're going to really focus, because I want to bring it back to um, where we see that word again in other places in Scripture, but we're going to see the word begat quite a bit here in this chapter. And we already know that Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. And I just want to pause there. That's where the lineage gets a little bit ugly. Because Jacob is no one to really be proud of. And it's really important if you look at the text here, how it's mentioned Jacob and not his former known self, Israel. And I want us to understand Jacob is that is that kid who put on, you know, his mom's costume, hairy costume, and put on furs. Uh, of a uh, of animal skins and put fur on the back of his neck and on his arms and took some some meat the favorite dish into uh, the tent of his dying blind father and deceives his father. I mean, I've talked about this before. I, I, I'm, that's, this whole story is just bewildering to me. I mean, the very fact that he would do that and work with his own mother to conspire and to, to rob the blessing. But uh, to me, out of all that is just how crazy of a hairy man was Esau. Right? I mean, my God. He's a wildebeest. The fact that you can fool your own blind father who grew up around you by touching hairy goats. And so we see here that right out of the, right out of the gates, Jacob is not just of a, a, really, even when he was being born, the Bible says that he was grabbing hold of his brother's heel and he was yanking and trying to become number one. And you see here this kind of ugliness that it's so important that we pay attention on how the scripture really makes a strong point and lets us know it wasn't that Isaac begat uh, Israel is that Isaac begat Jacob. And we need to understand that right off in our family tree, we're welcome to deception. We're welcome into a deceiver, a supplanter, the Bible will call him. And we go forward and we see that Jacob begat Judah, Judas, and his brethren. Now, that word brethren, of course, we know it means other brothers, but there was a lot of brethren, right? Anyone know? Twelve, okay. Twelve <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we see it's 11 other brothers, including Judah. And verse 3, and Judas, Judah, he was the fourth son of Jacob, and he begat Phares, or Phares in the Old Testament, and Zara of Thamar, also in the Old Testament of Tamar. Now, we pause again, because this tree keeps getting complicated. 
The story here is so, so intricate. Genesis, I won't read the verses, but go to Genesis chapter 38 and you will get the very very clear history of who Tamar is. See, what happened is Judah at this time has had sons, and he he wants to marry off his sons. And back then, they would uh, plan these marriages, and uh, the father saw, saw Tamar and said, I'm going to make sure you are going to be part of my sons. And, and, and so he hooks uh, Tamar up with his first son, and that first son, his name is Ur. It's a if you're wondering how well, you know, baby names, uh, that was like one of the second, third names under the E. It was E-R, Ur. And um, what's interesting about Ur is that he dies at a very young age because he was evil. In his heart, he was wrong. The things he did was wrong. And the Lord took him. The Lord, the Lord took him out. And, um, and now... Tamar is widowed, and she looks at the at the father of Ur, and it's like, what do I do now? And 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 Judah says, okay, that's all right. I have another son, Onan, and you can marry Onan, and and Onan will 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 be with you, and and you guys will have kids. And Onan, he's the same deal, and his story is a little bit, a little more just kind of disturbing as well. And he sins, and he does things against the against the Lord, the Lord's do and the Lord takes his life as well. And so Judah, you've got to put yourself in this, in Judah's shoes here. I've lost two sons already because of their evils and their wrongdoing and because they would not uh, do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And they're trying to uh, procreate, try to begat somebody with Tamar. And so again, Judah goes back to Tamar, says, Tamar, I, 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 I'm sorry again. This is, this is terrible, but I have yet one more son. His his name is, uh, it, it's not really a super strong guy's name, Sheila. Sheila, um, he's young, but just wait a little bit. Wait a, just, just hold on for a couple more years. He's going to be of age where he can marry, and I'm going to set you guys up, and Tamar's not having it. Tamar is just, she's feeling uh, just dejected. She's feeling in this moment just robbed of, number one, of her youth. She's feeling robbed of, of, of really her life, and the Bible goes on in, in Genesis 38, and, and just she decides to do things in on her own accord, and she dresses herself and dresses herself like a harlot and waits out in the city streets and waits for Judah to come walking through when he is at his weakest and uh, wanting to hook up with a harlot. And so she tricks Judah and ends up sleeping with Judah. And this story is like a soap opera. It is, it is one of the most wild family tree stories. And I want, I'm, I'm explaining all this in our begat series because begats are not supposed to be boring. They're supposed to really emphasize some real history if we look at it. And the story goes on because of those, of that of that the, the the lies and the sins and the the deceptions of Tamar and everything that happened and Judah being tricked, Judah gets Tamar pregnant and this is where we find those children Phares and Zara, and so they're welcomed now into Matthew chapter one this lineage this family tree and it's just a crazy story of all how how 
all this happened. And, and now we see, in, moving on, that Pharez begets Ezram, or Hezron in the Old Testament, and Ezram beget Aram. Now, Ezram and Aram, there's not a lot of deep-seated uh, history in the Old Testament about them. There's not much to talk about, except that's just who they were. Verse 4, and Aram beget Aminadab, not much about Aminadab. Aminadab beget uh, Naasan. In the Old Testament, he's known as Nashon. Uh, there's a very small little sentence, really, or kind of focus on Nashon. During the time the people were in the wilderness, they made him a prince in the wilderness. They considered him a prince uh, when they were first numbering in the wilderness. And, and Nason begat Solomon. Now this is again, we're going to verse 5, verse 5. And Solomon begat Booz, which in the Old Testament is Boaz. Now Boaz has an awesome story because the, verse 5, Boaz and, and Rahab and I want us to, again, pause here. Rahab is actually, um, in the Old Testament, she's known as Rahab. Now, Rahab's story is, 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 is so distant from being born inside the promises of the people of God. Rahab was, was not of the lineage of Israel. Rahab was not somebody who understood what Egypt looked like and the suffering that took place in Egypt. She didn't see the separating of the Red Sea, and she didn't see that bitter waters became sweet. She doesn't have that story, but she does have a powerful story. Because when Israel finally gets to uh, Jericho and they send in spies and they go into Jericho, these spies, Rahab is a harlot and she is a woman of ill repute and she opens her door to any man who would come in. And she opens her door to these spies of Israel to take them into to safety because it's news has gone out that there's spies in the city. They're hunting these spies down. Down. I, now we're like the family tree has went from soap opera to a little bit of James Bond. Okay, it's we're we're going into a different genre now. Where we went into com <laughs> complete, you know, thriller mystery. Now we're into spy novel. And here we are. These spies are inside Jericho, and the spies are, are trying to see things out and see Cain in the promised land, all these things, but now they're being hunted. And this harlot decides how the goodness of her heart to take these spies in and hide them and make sure they find safety while they're being hunted down. But there is a process of, of, uh, that happens in this moment because when the spies leave, she understands that Israel is going to rule this area. She has heard of their, not just Israel, but more importantly, Israel's God. And she's heard of the rumors, and she's heard of what happened to Egypt, and she's heard of the mighty Red Sea being opened and crushing the enemies. She's, she's heard of, of other enemies being, being slain and killed, and how, how they're now just moving into the area. And she takes, takes it upon herself to, for, to really do everything she can to save herself. And she makes a deal with them. Is there something I can do that you don't kill me? Is there something that, that we, I don't know, that I can assign? And they say, listen, hang, hang a scarlet 
thread outside your window and we will know, we will take it out, we will understand that you are the one that helped us and we will not slay this house that you're in when we come and overtake this city. And so it's so powerful to see that this, this family tree, how intricate it is in, in everything that we see here in Matthew 1, how this begat process starts. And we see that Rahab, the harlot, she's just someone you don't talk about, someone you don't brag about saying she's a part of your family. You see her emphasize here in verse 5. And Solomon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. And I love the story because Ruth is interjected here. And if you know anything about Ruth, uh, uh, please read Ruth this week. See how important she is and how necessary she is for the life of Christ. Because Ruth was a woman who also felt dejected and lost because of her, her stance as a widow being by herself. But she decided to leave what she used to be and connect herself with the people of God. And she decided to connect herself with her mother-in-law and say, your, God, your God's going to be my God. Your people's going to be my people. And she totally, totally fell into what God's promises were. And she met this, this Prince Charming of a guy named Boaz, who was the son of a harlot. That's powerful. That is an interesting thing to see, really, how Rahab, how how Rahab, who in her in her old life was a prostitute, but had a son who owned property, who had had very financial strong means, and there was there was something that was a giant jump from what Rahab that his mother uh, had and what he had, because in that moment, because of his wealth and all those things, Ruth was able to glean off the cornfields that Boaz owned, and he becomes this. The Bible calls him a kinsman redeemer. And there's a likeness, there is, there's, an, there's a likeness to that statement. When you think of Christ, you, you call him a kinsman redeemer. And it's so powerful to see the, the love story there that Boaz has with Ruth. And they begat Obed. And Obed begets Jesse. And Jesse, of course, we're starting to see some names maybe that we do understand. Jesse is, is a, a father who will come to light simply because of who his son later is. But Jesse is the one who has other sons. The Bible says... In Matt, I'm sorry, in Psalms 51, when David is in a, in a psalm of repentance, he, he says this statement that in sin didn't my mother conceive me. And it is rumored that even though Matthew 1 makes this point that Jesse begat David, David feels, if you understand how the earliest years of David, as a, he's the youngest in the house, but he's mistreated in his family. He's the rut of the family. He's the one who, uh, in my family, he's my, my kids, like, we had this argument. Uh, I should say, I, we did, it was no argument for me. It was my argument between my two children, arguing about who was doing the dishes that day and who was doing the the same amount of dishes anyone have you know kids that argue like that i'm sure i don't think i did that i'm i'm uh, <laughs> 
Stephen raised his hand. I think he, he argues with Delaney on who washes the dishes. <clears throat> you know, so we, there's those in-house arguments on chores. No doubt that was the case for David. But unfortunately for David, he had a lot of brothers who were bigger, stronger, and said, no, you're going to be the one out in the field tending to the sheep. You're the one going to be out there. And when the prophet came to anoint the next king in the house of Jesse, and he touched and he felt and he looked upon every son of Jesse, he still was not content and he still was not content, uh, connected with the vision that in the, and really the voice of God on who was going to be the next anointed king and you see uh, you see the prophet ask is there not one more <laughs> do you not have another child hiding and then of course Jesse is frustrated maybe a little bit and said I do have one more kid out in the field so it if you look at the correlation between how he was treated, the where his placement, that meeting of the prophet when he comes into the house and he was instructed to have all the sons before him and David was still not a part of that group. You know, David felt maybe in sin my mother did conceive me and maybe my my mother cheated and maybe, you know, there was something in that process. There's there's a there's some people who feel that way. But we're going to lean what the word of God says and the the word of God says that Jesse begat David. Now, David, uh, the king, I like already uh, Matthew in, in this family tree begat, wants you to know that David's the king, right? Not David the shepherd, <laughs> David the king. And immediately we see that the tree starts to really blossom and really begins to brag about its fruit. And Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon, and this is important, of her that had been the wife of Urias. Urias is Uriah in the Old Testament. Uh, we know her name to be Bathsheba. And we see that story as well. Uriah is a very strong and very influential and very connected soldier. And he's a proud soldier to fight for his country. And he's, he's ready to fight and ready to do whatever he can. But David in this moment decides to take a reprieve from battle. He decides to rest and, and not fight with his men, which was out of his and kind of away from who he is and the way he was really came into being king because we know how he became king, right? He rushes out into the valley of Elah and he meets a giant and he, he takes his head. Now, we, we see here, it's important to understand that David, that he is out on his balcony and he's trying to find, now we're, we're going right back to soap opera now. He is out there on his balcony and he witnesses during the time of war and battle, he witnesses Bathsheba. This is always funny that she's bathing and her name is Bathsheba. I don't, uh, you know, the word of God makes it easy on you to remember names. <laughs> Right, and so here she is. Bathsheba is, is bathing out in the open on her on her deck or wherever, and David is not far from witness, and uh, he's being very creepy, creepyish, and he is watching, and he decides, I I want that woman, and he begins to make the arrangements, and he, uh, of course, calls her to his his kingdom, and and. Um, 
really fast forward the story, he ends up uh, impregnating her, and in the process of that, he wants to hide his sin. He wants to hide what he's done. And so he decides to call out to the front to bring Uriah back home. Uriah needs to come home and be with his wife. And he's planning on Uriah to be with his wife. And so in that process, he's thinking things are taken care of. No one will know. Well, Uriah is too focused on the battle and too focused on serving that he doesn't sleep with his wife. He sleeps on the front steps of the kingdom. And he's ready. He just can't. He just wants to be out there and fight. And David decides that he has to do something different. And he writes a, a letter of intent to, to give to the general that you want to put Uriah out on the front lines and, and make a signal and I want all your forces to retreat except for Uriah. Don't let Uriah know and leave him out there on his own. And what's so like just gut-wrenching about this story is that after he folds up that letter and puts that seal and, and, and seals it up, he hands the letter to Uriah to deliver. <laughs> this is, you know, Hollywood, they would just do just all right if they stuck to the script that's found in the scripture. I have no, no, no problem, you know, coming up with real entertaining stories here. And here Uriah goes, hands his letter to, to the general. And of course, the battle ensues and they pull back and Uriah is there left alone fighting by himself and he doesn't go down easily either he is a very strong shoulder but he dies in that process and now David believes that he's got away David in all intents and purposes has gotten away no one knows of what has happened no one knows of why uh, that letter was given no one knows that uh, really Bathsheba is pregnant and it, for all intents and purposes they knew Uriah came home for a trip and they figured it must be Uriah's son that could be there and David believes I've gotten away with this lie I've gotten away with this deceit and all of a sudden the prophet Nathan just knocks on David's door and says I gotta talk with you thank God for a Nathan in your life amen, amen. <laughs> and, and you see Nathan here the prophet Nathan he is he, he is burdened to share what he knows. And he, he, without just coming right out and saying, David, you sinning dog, you, you, you piece of trash. How could you do that to someone in your own country and especially a, a soldier of, of high regard? He, he doesn't do it that way. He tells a story and he lays out this story of this, this farmer who uh, is, farms next to a, a, another sheep farmer who is, has, has thousands of sheep and hundreds of sheep just abundance but this poor little farmer has these small ewe lamb and he treats this ewe lamb like it's his child I mean eats at the table and sleeps in the bed this is part of the family but that that neighboring farmer who has hundreds of other sheep decides to steal that one ewe lamb from that farmer and when David hears this story David is enraged he's like I'm, give me the name of this man. I am going. I'm going to kick his door down, and I'm going to bring judgment on this guy by myself. And Nathan, oh, the prophet Nathan, gets out that finger of his and says, "You're the man." My my. Be careful calling yourself the man. You're the man. 
David all of a sudden, every just the weight of grief and uh, of sorrow hits him. And really, David is also at another crossroads. He's the king. He could have killed this prophet like that. No one would know any further as well. But it was because David's relationship with God and his brokenness, he, he writes Psalms 51, which is such a powerful chapter. And he repents for that. And we see here that he has this child. And this child really is not the child named Solomon. And Solomon becomes the second child that he has with Bathsheba. And it's always interesting here if you look at this, the way it's written here in Matthew 6, 1 and 6, when it says that Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. It wants you to know what happened. I'm, I'm, I'm pausing here, and I'll pick up again on um, Sunday, but I want to wrap up this first part of this begats. I, I color-coded these names in green and red and, and some in kind of yellow. Uh, there are one, two, three, four, maybe five, six names that I mentioned out loud in the beginning of these texts that I read out to you that you can brag about. But there are one, two, three, four, five, and maybe another one, six, just as equal as the bad fruit stories. See, the begats are so important because Christ came from such a, a muddy, very dirty background, and so have all of we. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our birthing story is not a a story of purity. Our birthing story is not one of that is clean and, and all, you know, fancy roses and just good things and perfume. It's none of that. Each of us need to be buried in baptism in Jesus' name for the washing away of our sins. And, the, and, and so we can grab a hold of that fact that if we are begatted, if I can use that word, we're born in Christ anew. And I'm grateful that I have a template that my Savior has. Let's all stand. I, I, I know this is not one of those lessons that are very, woo <laughs> it's exciting. I remember just, again, studying like, oh, man, I want to tackle the begats. Because I want us this season to walk away on, on who Jesus really is and where he comes from when he's born. And it's, we, it, we do ourselves a disservice by skipping the first portion of Matthew 1. We need to grab a hold of that and understand that the Word of God is not trying to hide things. It's trying to emphasize some things. We, Jesus came from the lineage of, of a deceiver. He came from the lineage of a harlot. Two harlots, really. Tamar and, and Rahab. He came, he came from the lineage of, of just deception and lies and Trickery, all these things are found in his family. Not all of them are the great father Abraham. And even Abraham, you look at his story, he came out of idolatry. He came out of a background where he was a different name as well. 
We see Israel, it's not really even mentioned. It's the name Jacob that's mentioned. And so important that we stop hiding and stop neglecting our humble beginnings and realizing that it's a testimony of where God has brought me from. So I hope we understand as we, as we, as we continue to grow in this, in this Christmas season. I always find Christmas season a challenge for me as a teacher and a preacher because I don't ever want to skip the story that's been preached every single year, right? How many times can the pastor talk about, talk about you know, the, the baby in a manger? Well, once a year. <laughs> but I, I also want to keep looking at it and asking God, show me more of you. Show me more of you. And when I see more of him, I see some negatives. And I'm, I'm comforted that, man, my God, I'm grateful that I, I've gotten through some negatives. I've gotten through some hardships, and I'm still getting through it. And we're going to continue and emphasize the other individuals after, Sol, uh, after Solomon. And um, it's, it's very interesting. But let's just bow our heads this evening and, and go to God. There, God, thank you for today. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for leading us and showing us. If you were encouraged by this message and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, please visit EphesusChurch.com. Thank you for being a part.